Welcome to another episode of the Beck Lover Podcast, where you might learn a thing or two about life. You never know who I'm going to have on this show. We've had some of the biggest guests in the world, people like Rachel Ray, Kyle Baskin, Havoc of Mob Deep, Lilo Brancato, who played in Bronx Tale, amazing human beings with amazing stories. And the best way to learn is to learn from each other. So make sure you hit that subscribe button, leave a comment, check us out anywhere podcasts are available. But if you want to see my beautiful face, you can watch it on YouTube, Rumble, or on Spotify. Today, I have a wonderful friend of mine of over 20 years. I have an amazing activist, artist, author, volunteer, someone that I met when she was doing activist work for the Albanian women's organization back in the early 2000s. And I was just a young buck back then. I have my friend, Shipa Malushi, in the house. Welcome, Shipa. Thank you so much, Beck. I uh, am honored to be here and to see how far you have come. Shipa, it's been quite some time since we've seen each other. Yeah. You don't look like you've aged that much. And I cannot believe, you know, I'm not going to say it unless you want to say it, but I can't believe... You can say it. <laughs> ...that you are the age you're telling me you are. Yes. I'm, you're almost 70. Yeah. 69 this year. Okay, Next I'm 40, year. and I'm aging like a raisin in the sun. So what's the secret to looking so amazing for your age? I think it's the wrong mirror you're looking at. <laughs> think so? It's um, love. Love doesn't let you age because when you're in love with life, with yourself, with people, you never age. You don't have time to age because love is constantly springing and life is magical. So why age? Do you think love is just another word for happiness? Love. Or a cinnamon, or, or, or no. what do you mean like love doesn't let you age? In what capacity? Does that mean me being with someone I love? No, or loving every no. aspect of life, even the bad, right. the good? Like, Explain that a little deeper. First, we human beings really are operating from the ego, wanting things from the outside because we see them, we hear them, we taste them, and we want to own them. But that is not fulfilling. That is not love. We forget our inner selves and therefore we just run and run and run. What is love? Love is being content and knowing yourself, accepting yourself. No judgment. No judgment about yourself or anybody else for that matter. When I was overweight, as you remember, which we suffer from uh i mean listen the last time i saw you in real yeah. life you were not overweight i was so i haven't we haven't really been seen each other in quite some time right but i was almost 96 kgs at one point so how much overweight were you at one point uh, uh from 55 kgs to what would that be in pounds how many uh, kilograms uh, over were you uh, I don't Which know. You should be. I mean, uh, uh, a lot. Yeah. I was almost uh, hundred ninety six or hundred ninety. So about eighty pounds, hundred right. pounds overweight. Yeah, yeah, a lot of overweight. I'm, I'm yeah. in that battle right now, as yeah. you can see. So instead of uh, looking at what made my body like that, I was hating my body. 
I was beating myself down. I was not seeing anything good in me in, for everything I could not have or do. I was suffering and imposing this suffering on myself. So once finally I learned that you have to start appreciating this life and this body that takes you all over and gives you so much. And instead of beating her down, why not loving her? When I started to say thank you to my feet that run, bring me all over the world, uh, my feet stopped hurting. My, so my pain started decreasing and I rejuvenated. And slowly, slowly, slowly the weight went down because I started loving me, taking care of me. And I wasn't seduced by the outside things that are there for us. It's kind of like Anthony Bourdain, the great chef and traveler that I enjoyed his work. I went to the same high school as him, Leonia, New Jersey. Yeah, I loved his work too. You know, he said that what greater amusement ride than the human body? Mm. Like, you know, so mm. when you say that, being grateful yeah. and, 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 and literally, you know, it may seem silly to someone, like how do you thank your feet? But I understand, I, the way I'm understanding is uh, being grateful that you have feet, being yeah. grateful that you have health, being grateful that you still have a chance if you're not healthy to get healthy before it's too late. Having gratitude it's, for this blessing of life. Yes. Having health, having the ability to get healthy. And acceptance of all good and bad. Because bad, sometimes difficult things that come in our life, and I have been there too, uh, we react to them and we feel victimized and we stay in victimization stay in the pain and stay in the pain and get addicted to that pain because afraid to let it go however after that if when we because we don't know what the future is due to that circumstances we often make a mistake sometimes the worst the worst painful thing that happened to us are for the reason for a better better circumstances coming to us for peeling the onion bringing us forward opening us up to learn to evolution evolve to the best of the self no human being is bad we circumstances make us difficult and different and then people judge us as good or bad or in between <laughs> so we can't do that i agree with you and spiritually, you know, what I believe in also agrees with the statement that you just made, that something horrible can happen to you, something so painful, so traumatic, that in that moment when you're going through that, you can't even see hope, you don't understand why, mm. you're paralyzed by the pain, and you go into this vicious cycle, Yes. because you don't know how to process the pain. And, for example, in the Quran, one of the verses is, it may be a thing that you think is bad for you was actually good for you. Yeah. And something you thought was good for you would actually lead you to your destruction. Exactly. But God has all wisdom and you do not. In essence, it's the same message you're saying right. is that, and I agree with you. When I look back, for example, when I walked away from one of the best jobs I ever had, it got to a point where the way I felt there, unappreciated, that was really the biggest thing, the respect. I didn't feel I was getting the respect. Not, I'm not talking about like, 
oh, you're the best, and, and, and for egotistical reasons. I'm talking about when you are being misused, when you are giving everything you have and is not appreciated with respect, not to kiss my ass. I'm talking about you kill yourself, you work hard, you think that you're with people that care about you, and then you come to the realization that you're nothing to them. Yeah. And that's a very hard thing to overcome and want to stay in that type of environment. But walking away from a very large amount of money at that time, for me, over 15 years ago, making half a million dollars wasn't a little bit of money for a man in his early, you know, mm-hmm. early part of life. It was a lot of money. But I couldn't take the humiliation. I couldn't take the way I was being treated. I didn't like the way I, I didn't want to be there anymore. And the money didn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. but at that time was I scared yes I was terrified I'm like shit how am I going to walk away from this will I ever make that kind of money again but all of it led to me being able to do what I'm doing today if I did not go through all of that I would never have been able to create yeah. what I'm doing now this conversation would not be happening right now yeah. and it was a very dark moment in my life because I was very concerned what is the future going to look like what am I going to go through how can I my family what are you doing why are you walking away from this career yeah. And it's very hard for many people who know deep down inside what they believe, what they feel. They know that I think, and I think you've had yeah. many talks, me and you, throughout yeah. the years. And I don't want to be the one talking. Yeah. But there's a lot that I, I agree with you on. All right. And I believe that you believe the same thing. I believe everyone has a gift. Yes, absolutely. Everyone. It could be the littlest thing that you are neglecting. Like, it could be as simple as you make the best apple pie in the world and you don't even realize it. But God gives you clues. The universe, as some people say, how do you know? Everyone's like, I love your apple pie. Please, can you make me one? Right. This might be a signal from God telling you, you need to make these apple pies and sell them to the world. So many times we neglect the superpower we have. I always knew this was my gift. Yeah. You have to My school, as in, as in high school, voted most likely to have his own talk show. They knew. And you. Did. But I neglected my gift. I neglected it because I listened to everybody else. Yeah. I listened to my family. I listened to what my cultural program, programming was. Follow this course of life that everyone has a cookie cutter. This is the way you're supposed to be. And you deny your gift. You deny your destiny. You deny. And so many people go to the grave never having a chance. Everyone really, has a gift. People basically surrender to fear. Fear is, okay, a human emotion. Everybody wants to protect their loved ones. Everybody fears for tomorrow. Fear so, they're going to starve to death. Fear they're not going to have a place to live. Fear, fear they're going to get laughed at. And it takes courage to go and s- diminish the fear and look at the fear and just not surrender to it. It takes courage. It takes even willingness to lose in the name of the goal that you uh, feel that the feeling the belief that you have that you know deep down your soul wants something else and if you don't follow that that's where unhappiness kicks in because it's emptiness it's void you cannot fill it up with anything and you have to follow your voice your inner soul it knows what it wants it tells you what it wants and you have to be embraced to say, I accept. I accept with full and rising. Let's go, let's go on this journey. You listen let's to go. Journey. And I agree 100% that fear 
fear is what what is everyone going to think what's my family going to think what's yeah. my dad yeah. if i listen to my closest people okay this podcast will not be happening right but i've been called stupid you're dumb you're this you're that you're so old why are you even trying now my. right people closest to me strangers i love you this is amazing thank you messages every day you helped me change my life you helped me prevent from taking my own life and i'm sitting here going my god when i look back and i do an audit of my own life when i look at all the decisions i made that were for other people they always led me to some type of and i don't believe there's any failure if you learn there right? is no failure but loss of time maybe you know and i do believe you have to go through certain things but you you like you know i always say on this show to the young people the hardest part in life is not to make it. It's to know what you truly want. Yes. Once you know, a meaning like your inner self, your you know, what your passion is. Yeah. Once you can figure that out, and if you have the courage to pursue that, you will succeed. It doesn't matter what it is. My my grandmother used to tell me when I was a little girl, shut up. Don't speak too much. Girls don't speak. It's bad to speak. And she used to cover my mouth and she, nobody will marry you if you talk too much, ask too many questions. Little did she know that it is because I speak all the time, I help people around the world speak up and heal and, and feel. So it's this gift of my mouth that spoke and asked questions that opened all the doors for me but she didn't know she was fearing because she was the society living in the, the society. culture the old days yes and so we need to we need to kind of go through it's like swimming yeah today i was swimming and i was asking myself what do you want every time every day i ask myself that question what do you want now and i'm almost 70 Oh my God. And, and each time I ask, each time I get a response, today's response was, you have everything you wanted. You have so much love. People don't forget you. People still want your company and they pay for your ticket. And <laughs> what more do you want? You are respected. You are part of this life in people's lives that you will leave behind a memory that they can also move on and, and go on in their lives by choosing happiness, self-respect, and respect for others. And that's all there is to it. Let's go back a little bit. Yeah. Because the audience doesn't know who you are. Okay. They probably can't even say your name. We have names like that, the Albanian yeah. world. You know, Albanian names are not easy to pronounce for people that are not from our part of the world. Yeah. Okay, my name, everyone calls me Bikum, and Bikum, that's where the word Beck okay. came from. But okay. your life started in what was formerly Yugoslavia, correct? Yeah, former Yugoslavia, Kosovo. Today, it's the independent country of, of Kosovo. Kosovo, a.k.a. Kosovo. A lot of Albanians consider it northern Albania, yeah. ethnically. Yeah. But you come from a place that was, I mean, how, do you remember, uh, how was your life there? And when did you come to the well, United States? I came, 
1980, June 20th. So two years before I was born. Yeah. I, I came uh, from... Pre former President Tito had died, and that was the day when his burial was. I came as a student exchange for a summer work. Wow. To, to, to just for three months. Now, do you remember how it was living in Yugoslavia yes. before the wars broke out? Like, I want the honest truth because yeah. I hear mixed yeah. reviews. No. I hear that it wasn't that bad under him. No, it wasn't. If we're being fair to history. No, it wasn't. I know I we've mean, had tensions with these people and I've been completely different than when I met you. Yeah. When you met me, I was an ultra-nationalist. Right. Our people for everything. And then I got this bigger understanding of the world okay. and how conflicts happen. And how people get pinned against each other. Yeah. Okay. Honestly speaking. Honestly speaking. What was life like before all the, like, I know we had protests in 81 that became violent. Yeah. Yeah. When did it start getting really bad for our people? Um, it was bad since 1961 because Serbia always aimed at the control of the land and taking over and claiming it. So there was always tension, no matter tensions what. For people, for ideologists, for politicians, for people in politics, for yeah. activists, it was bad. Because dangerous. They, dangerous. Because they, they Secret they, Service would come get you, Udba or whatever they call Udba. it. Udba, yes, absolutely. It was dangerous. So it they wasn't as free as they make it sound. No, but population, general The population, general population had better standards. was okay. Education was free. Jobs. Jobs were secure for life. People had apartments, roof over their heads. They didn't have to pay because jobs secured. The, and they the had living. some general freedom where they could they enjoy had, life. They could do art. They, they could, could, yes, and they could travel. Even we, though they were under a socialist country. Right, but it was communist. sort of not communist. It was socialist. More socialist. More socialist. They, we could travel all over without visa. Without a visa. Without a visa. That's what I heard. Like it was right. that powerful, that passport. Yes. And medication was free. My father was the first Albanian pharmacist uh, in Kosovo. Wow. He died at age 27. My mother remained um, a widow at age 24 with three kids. Wow. And she educated herself after his death. She finished school after his death. Wow. And, and managed to become a bookkeeper and uh, and work at the pharmacy, hired at the pharmacy where my father had worked and educated us. And we, we, we had a very good life because the family wasn't so poor. It wasn't poor. My grandfather was a businessman with the leather. So it was okay. Life was good, but traditional and conservative. So you lived for the others didn't live for yourself and you had to be very careful girls had was the biggest mistake to be born a girl I, I've, I've seen <laughs> what it was like a little bit yeah. in the early 90s so I can only imagine what 90s? it was like no I can only imagine so, what it was like in your time that's what I'm my saying my time is I this one is a girl only if it was a boy so I was expected to be born a boy but unfortunately I came as a girl so and you grew up in what area of that? I grew up in Peya. Peya. Peya is a city, lost city, surrounded by mountains of towards Kosovo, Montenegro. Towards Montenegro. Beautiful city. And gorgeous, totally. Still, the rivers and the yeah, mountains, yeah. nature is alive there, but mentality was stuck. People feared 
their own shadows. And so living like that, it wasn't wasn't free. Do you think it's changed much since 50 years ago as far as mentality? Uh, mentality. Because I know you've done a lot of activism for yes. women's rights. Uh, it has changed in some ways and it hasn't in, on the other ways. So what it, would you say are the positives that have changed? The in, positive in is that girls are much freer now. They go to they school go more, to school, they work. They travel alone and they go outside of the country. Uh, to They get PhDs in such early ages, which was a dream at my time. You couldn't possibly do that. I mean, people got married at age 16. And now they choose their partners. They don't want to get married. They live together before they decide. And so they have some autonomy and decision-making in. So it has become better. On the other side, we are a new country now, so identity is still not clear, and and people are, uh, economic difficulties are there. So there are a lot of, people without jobs and leaving we and okay they leave they learn they come back I are they back. going back i went back I you went did back. but i think so many are leaving they're not going back they will they will and the danger for you know for our people in my opinion and again is that because so many live in the diaspora one or two generations they will assimilate they will forget their language they will forget their heritage Yes. We will lose half of our population without a single bullet being fired Some in the next 50 years. Maybe. But let I me think so. Let me just tell you this. I travel a lot through all diasporas. Everywhere where I meet Albanians, they speak Albanian. So uh, I never lost the language 45 years after I've left. I mean, my children are second generation. They do speak. Yeah. But I don't think their children will. It's okay. It's okay. I'm also over this whole, you know, I think too much nationalism is not good either. I think we're all human beings. Yeah. I think that God made us different people to see how stupid we are. Are we really going to kill each other because we speak a different language? Are we really going to kill each other because we come from a different part of the world? Like, So for me, you know, the world would be a very boring place if we were all the same. Absolutely. I couldn't picture the world without all the different ethnicities we have and races we have Absolutely. and i think it's what makes the world so magical i mean you've seen the evolution yes. back home and yes. i i agree also it has come a very long way yes even in the dating part of it right dating wasn't really a thing that uh, you know you did publicly you know now you see them out and they date and if it doesn't work out we don't have any you know shootouts happening like it's come a long way yes, yes. in that yes. capacity yes yes back then it was more arranged marriages Yes. You know, family said, okay, we have a girl, you have a boy. Maybe they had some say. Maybe they got lucky if they met at school. But it was very common, especially from where my father came from and a lot of other people. But speaking of education, you know, even my, my, my father told me too, like when, you know, my mom was basically raised here, but she was not born here. She was a refugee. They had to escape from Hoja's regime and Hoja in Albania proper. Yeah. And, she, you know, so they came here very young. And when it was time to go, you know, to college, you know, most most Albanian women, even in America, didn't go at that time. The first generation. My father sent my mother to to college. Many people made fun of him, and he said, "Well, while you make fun of me, your wife is cleaning toilets. Mine sits in an office. So who who should be laughing, really? Well, right? So you know, he sent her to school. She worked for one of the largest publishing companies in the world. I won't say which one. And she was there for." 
many years in, as an accountant. Mm. And, um, you know, so for that time, you know, he wasn't, my father was in the minority. Most Albanians didn't send their Daughter. wives, their wives, forget them. If their wife hadn't gone to school, they didn't send their wife to school. It was very rare in those days. We're talking about in the 70s. So I understand a lot of what you've seen in some ways, but it's nice to hear it from, from someone that lived it, you know? Yes, and for me, my grandmother was a role model of a strong woman. My grandmother smoked when she was seven years old. She was the only child to her father, who was a beg. A beg is a title, Turkish title, uh, left from the Turkish Ottomans. Anyway, she smoked at age seven. She chose her husband, my grandfather, and she ruled the household. She was the matriarch. She was very, very strong willed. Strong will and was like military order in our home, something I could not really appreciate. There was no freedom of speech. There was there was nothing. You you did not exist. You just had to comply to the rules. Well there was a thooper. How? Thupers, Albanian switch. We take a little yeah. branch off the tree, and you make your. And the, if they, they really want to psychologically torture you, they'll make you go pick your own branch to get yeah. whipped with. If you and don't, they, they they beat your legs. They lightly le your hands. Sometimes not so lightly. No, my legs used to look <laughs> like zebra because I was a rebel child. So most of the time, beating was normal for me. What do you think about that? Honestly, compared to that, I think kids are out of control today. I think they need to get slapped once in a while, honestly. I don't believe in slapping now. Not crazy. No, no. But no. this is some kids, no matter what you do, don't they do not listen. I No kids listen. Like, really listen. I didn't My listen. father didn't really beat me up at all. It was just the fear that he would. He I would just look at me, and I'm like, okay, I don't want to make him mad. I'm going to... I don't believe I'm gonna in sit violence. Down. I, I don't, don't believe in violence either. No. But so what do you think? If a kid is very stubborn and does stubborn, not listen and you have to find nothing ways. works. You have to find ways to be patient and to find ways to communicate. Because now today the kids are slapping their parents. <laughs> no, that, I a lot of them. I mean, are. I don't know about that, but I don't believe in slapping either. No, I I yeah, know yeah, you are. You're right. a pacifist. Yeah, you don't believe I, in any form of violence. No, I know. No, I don't. I don't. I believe I believe we have to respect each other we have to understand kids we don't understand we don't have patience to understand kids we need to to be patient and patience is missing i i, I think one of the biggest problems we have in this world i agree with you also it's a lot we, we actually patience i mean patience we are reacting at all times it's one of my favorite expressions also in the albanian culture by the way zamen huh. fruit tahekrut a swollen heart yeah. will make you lose your head. Yeah. Because in that moment of shock, yeah. in that moment of trauma, in that moment where we're offended or someone does something that's just really wrong, yeah. if we just act on the emotion, we can do something that's even worse than what they did to us and create even more problems for we life. We always react like that. It, the majority of people, I'm guilty yeah. of it. Yeah. I'm guilty of it. And I've learned in my I, older age to kind of calm down, to kind of think about things, to kind of take a breath before you do something you're really going to regret. I have trained my horse my spirit that is a wild horse for years to hold back breathe i have gone to vipassana meditation for 15 years vipana. every year Vi vipassana yeah, i always say it wrong vipassana so is meditation a part of your life yes how often do you meditate well possibly daily 
possibly an hour a day, but sometimes less. It depends. But Vipassana is being aware, bringing your awareness in your body at all times. So to be what present. do you do to get into that state? Do you have to clear your mind completely no. or do you actually focus on what's going on in your life? No, how does how you, does the mental state in, you, when you, you're in that form of meditation? You just start observing your thoughts, your emotions and your physical self. And you go from top of the head to the bottom of your feet, over and over, back and forth, back and forth. So it's not that you do something or you tell your mind stop and clear. You don't do that. You just observe. You just observe. You z- because in us, there are two sets of energies, craving and aversion. We always want, 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 want. We crave for more and crave for more. And that multiplies so much. And aversion, I don't get it. I don't get it. And why I don't get it? Beat yourself down. So these two emotions constantly multiply, keep us blindfolded. Okay? So observing them is cooling down, accepting the moment, and then start thinking, what am I supposed to learn from this? What do I think? What do I do? And you hear your voice. Otherwise, you're always in reaction. And so you hurt yourself first. Always. Always. The truth of the matter is we always do hurt ourselves. Yes, first. And it's interesting because, you know, again, and I'm not pushing religious beliefs here, but I've seen a lot in uh, correlation to what I've come to use for my, yeah. my source of guidance. Okay. Made me a better person. Yeah. So, for example, you know, one of the prayers that's mentioned in the Islamic faith, for example, is when they say to God, God, I have oppressed myself, so forgive me. I never understood that. And what it meant is exactly what you said. Mm -hmm. That when we commit a bad act, Mm -hmm. when we do something horrible, either to someone else or any, even though we didn't do it to ourselves, the person that we're hurting is actually not that person. Even though we are hurting them. Ourselves. Hurting ourselves. Yes. If we have any type of consciousness, if we have any type of love left in our heart, if we have any emotion, I do believe people's hearts become as hard as rocks eventually. Yes. When they allow the evil to take over, the hatred, the ego, the pride, the arrogance turns you rock solid. Yes. And you feel nothing. I've been there sometimes in my life. I have been on the dark side. Yeah. Where I only cared about me and what I can get and what I can take and what I can, right? I don't care. I just want to get what I want to get. We always. As a young man. And I didn't like that version of myself. I like the version that cares about the world, cares about people. It's okay if I got used. I do believe in divine wisdom. I do believe that there's a path. I do believe everything. I truly believe every single thing on this earth let's, let happens just, for a reason. It does. But let's, for example, language, yeah? How we use the language. You said, I don't care if I got used. How about changing that into a different way of saying, I have been useful at least to someone. So not use. Same message, but more positive. But on the positive note, your used has helped someone else achieve something or learn something or do something. So it has impacted. So instead of saying, I got used, which is negative, which brings you down, you say, I was useful. I impacted the life. Yes, you did. 
Because and that's one thing. You know what I call myself sometimes? No. The Forrest Gump of the universe. Good for you. When you watch that movie, it's like he did all that stuff and he didn't even realize he was doing it. Yeah. The difference is I'm fully aware of what I've been doing and I have, I cannot believe the impact I've had. And I'm not yeah. saying it to like toot my own horn. I have not made millions of dollars doing this work. I have not. We've spoke about this off the air. I don't do it for that. And that's why I know I will succeed. Yes. Because I love doing this. I'm having this conversation with you. I'm loving every single word that's coming out of your mouth. I know that I'm going to take highlights from this and 30 second pieces are going to be like bullets that pierce people's hearts to make them feel something and to understand that life doesn't always have to be dark. You don't always have to be a victim. Things can yeah. always get better. And that has been my overwhelming message to people because people fall into despair and they stay there. Yeah. And that's addiction. We get addicted to despair, to victimization, to bad times, just as we get addicted to good times and to joy and to other stuff. Yeah. But we are not aware. Nobody is aware and nobody has that teacher saying in your ear, snap out of it, snap out of it. So you need to connect to that inner voice that says, I don't like this, snap out of it. And that takes a moment to be aware and to be present and to accept yourself in all forms. Because really, every child is born pure. No child is born a killer. I agree with you. I don't believe in original sin. No. I believe that every human being is good. Is either becomes a product of their environment if they allow yes. it to destroy them. Yes. And the pain that causes pain could be the most dangerous thing if you get hooked to the pain and allow it. Because look, I you can mean, turn someone into a murderer. After after every dark comes sunshine. Every night comes darkness and brings in fear unknown and we don't know then in the morning sunrise every day sunrises and every day sunsets so we need to follow the nature look at the nature everything is a change every split second you and i meet after 20 something years we are different people now and Very yet, different, yeah yeah. Me personally, you seem s as sweet as always. It doesn't matter. I mean, you're me, always kind. Well, th that that's one of my qualities, and I nurture that. I nurture the qualities that I have brought up from childhood because nothing is left. Imagine if these qualities are lost. What do we have? Eat, drink, sleep. Is that enough? No, that means we're acting just like animals and that's yeah, well, that's not animalistic. Enough. That's not enough. When we feed only the hedonistic yeah. desires of the human being. That's pain. not enough. Eating, drinking, sleeping. Yeah, well, that's not enough. Primal yeah. and no. not elevated. Uh, it, not course. using the intellect and the spiritual power that God of has course. given us. Of I course. agree with you on that also. Of course. Now, me coming from a small city of 40,000 people in 1980 to this huge New York City to meet Mickey Mouse because that was my dream. Why? Because I saw Mickey Mouse on the first television we got was a happy thing. He was happy. I was unhappy. I was an orphan, half orphan. My father died. Well, in so, many cultures, they say if you have no father, you are an orphan. You are an orphan. Yeah. So, so in my head, I was an orphan. And the reason for that is because... 
many women were held down in societies and they weren't able to produce the same way a man could. So that's why if you lost your father, even if you had your mom, yeah, in many still, cultures, you were considered you an orphan. orphan. So feeling an orphan, I come to this glorious city. And, and I you got to see it in the 80s, man. And 80s, Mickey Mouse on the, on the 42nd Street. It was right there. Well, it was Mickey Mouse and prostitutes, <laughs> right? There was a different New York back then. Yes or no? I know. Because listen, as I a know. child, when I grew up and I was young, I didn't get to see it yeah, in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. But in the early 90s, one of the first jokes I remember hearing as a kid, and I never understood what it meant, yeah. was everyone would make fun of each other. And the number one way people like to make fun of each other, unfortunately, kids are very rude with their mouths sometimes, is they make fun of each other's mothers, yes. which is not a good thing to do. No. And one of the jokes that people used to say in the early 90s to insult each other would be, you know, your mother this, your mother that. And then someone would say, yeah, well, your mother works on 42nd Street because that's how crazy yeah. Times Square used to be. Yeah. So, yeah, even now if we go there, Mickey Mouse is still there. There's people dressed in costume to make a quick dollar taking pictures. <clears throat> but when you came to New York City... Times Square was very different. I know. And I used to go from work. It was very shocking there. A lot of peep shows. Right. Prostitutes. Yes, yes or no? Yes. I used to go home after So what did you think when you midnight. saw that? When you saw that in 1980 and you saw well, New York in its heyday? First, I was scared. And it was dangerous back then. First, I was scared. But first time when I passed through to go to Port Authority, take a bus to New Jersey because I always lived in New Jersey. But I, close to the city, so people don't say you live yeah. very close to New York. Yeah, you're I, on the water basically with New York City. Right, and so I looked at them. Okay, second time, I smiled at them. Third time, they kept saying, "Oh, Mama, again going home late. What have you done? What have you done?" <laughs> and so, like that, we started communicating. I never judged them, and to tell you the truth, they were real people. Today, it's all plastic. That It has changed. I call it the Easter Bunny generation. Yeah. Do you know what that means? No. It's a term I created. Okay. During Easter, we sell chocolates of bunnies. Yeah. And a lot of times, the ones during Easter are empty inside. Yeah. So the chocolate is beautiful on the outside. Yeah. But if you grab it, it's, it's hollow. Yeah. This is the world that we now live in. Everything looks beautiful. Even me, I say that on my Instagram. If you look at my Instagram, you think my life is amazing. Mm. I tell my followers, don't be fooled by my Instagram. Yeah. I have many problems in my life. Yeah. I cry many tears during the years. Just because yeah. you see me in Hawaii, you see me here, there, and with cool people, does not mean I don't suffer or I don't have problems or I don't cry. Don't be fooled by this because this is the Easter bunny generation. Yes. Beautiful yes. on the outside, empty on the inside. But, but the love I felt for these people on 42nd Street produced a book. I wrote a book, The Midnight Journey. It's a poetry book. It's on Amazon. Is it on Amazon? Yeah, it's on Amazon. And it's a, about their lives, what brought them to the bottom, and yet they survive, and that they still smile, or they just try. And so at least I captured that, and I made... That's amazing. So that's I, in your poetry book? Yeah, wow. and I justified... I justified their hard life without judging because we, we are so easy to judge and people. And we don't know what they've been through. No, we don't. We don't know. And we don't know drug addiction. And we don't know power of the, uh, the pimps forcing these girls to do what they have to do. 
and uh, I don't remember. I don't remember one one uh, sentence where I say uh, she did not have a choice. She just had to do it in the back of the car. And that's what it was like in Forty Second Street and back that's then. That's what it was. Okay, so, and I've never agreed with that. You know, <clears throat> people think, oh, like you know, they go to Germany, for example. Mm. Germany has a red light district. Yeah. Amsterdam has a red light district. Yeah, it's legal. It's but I know for a fact that many of those women are trafficked. Why? Yes, yes. Because there's always someone that can force them. They're brought from other countries. Of Even course. though it's legal for you in Germany to be in a brothel. They are slaves. The majority of those women mm-hmm. are forced into that profession. Absolutely. Just because it's legal should not be fooled yeah. by it. And I've told many men, young men don't think about this. If you go into these places, you are abusing a woman in the worst way possible. And it does not appear like that because they come out smiling because if they don't, right. they'll be beaten. Right. The money they're making doing what they're doing, they're not keeping the majority of Women them. Women trafficking is Okay. And you going into here in the United States of America, these massage parlors that act like they're spas and they're not, these women that are brought from Asia, they come in smiling because they've been sold into slavery to right. pay off debts back home or whatever the case may be. Yeah. If you go to a massage parlor, if you go to a brothel in a country, even though it's legal. Yeah. You are sexually abusing a human being that I promise you is not there by their own will. 99% of them are not there by their own will. Yo, absolutely, absolutely. And they don't, I don't think men think about it. I try to tell men, please think about this. This is why. They're not there because they want to be. You are raping someone. You are raping you someone. You are actually contributing to the business. And you are the reason the business, business. exists. And that's yeah. someone's sister, mother, mm-hmm. someone's daughter. Yeah. And a lot of them have been taken against their own will. Yeah. And that's a fact. Yeah. And when you think of it like that, it's kind of hard to be aroused as a man. And so I could only do is write about it. So you wrote this book. Yeah. The Midnight Journey. The Midnight Journey. Any other books? Of course. I have about seven books on it. Uh, and so now if we type in your name and we're going to pop it up, do right. all your books yes. pop up on Amazon? Yes. yes. They're in English. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned briefly the documentary. You filmed the yeah. one because we said that everyone has a gift, even people that we would consider. Yeah. Oh, they're limited in capacity. Something physically is wrong with them or mentally. I always said, I don't care. Old, young, healthy, not healthy. Everyone has a gift. Some of the most beautiful human beings I've met in my life are the ones with Down syndrome. Yeah. Some of the most beautiful people I've met in my life are the ones that have paralysis. So you you said you made a film that you're trying to get out there. Right. We call it different abilities rather than, say, disability. That's correct. Because... Because really, we are all disabled one way or another. It's a truth. You know? There's things so, that someone yeah. else can do that I can yeah, do. Absolutely. I, absolutely. So uh, when I uh, worked on women's empowerment in Kosovo, uh, I work uh, this job all over in many countries and war zones mostly. Uh, I met this woman named Biba May. Biba May is Resmiya Rahmani, but they call her Biba May. Because they just, she loves that. Uh, she was born in May, so she loves that name. She suffers from progressive, uh, progressive muscular dystrophy, dystrophy. Muscular, muscular dystrophy, dystrophy. horrible yeah. condition. And her body is really dysfunctional from the neck down and arms, but her two fingers work on each hand and heart and her brain. And she is only amazing beautiful young woman who never complains who 
who never thinks something is wrong with her. She con- takes that, this is my condition, she says, and I may have to make the best use of it. So uh, a friend of mine came from India, a filmmaker, and she said, oh, this could make a great filmmaker. She could make a great documentary. So we started from scratch like that. Um, and with a team of contributors, I had two teams, first team and second team. Uh, we we really followed Biba's life and her actions, working every day, going to work, opening her door with. Now them, she does what for, for? She's an uh, she's a attorney and uh uh-uh, an advocate for change. Advocate for people with disabilities. Yes, absolutely. In Kosovo. In Kosovo. And I got to tell you. Americans, you think you have it bad here when you're, you know, have what they call a disability? Try having a wheelchair in countries that have no, No nothing, no infrastructure for people. Because I noticed this, you know, with family I have overseas that weren't able to get on elevators, weren't able to. They basically become prisoners in their own home. No access. They used to keep them locked. But no ramps, no you know, ramps, not like they can, like they literally. You think we have it bad here in America? There's places where these people literally just stay in their home no, all day because, absolutely. you know, and people here that have the same type of disability, they have much more productive of lives. Of course, of course, they work. So there's a lot we take for granted and, and in our she, blessings. She she influenced the government to create access. So she was the first woman on the wheelchair to go out, and. Uh, now everybody goes out on the wheelchair. They have access on the roads, so they can on the path on the ramps and on the main yes. squares and yes, and the main square really you could see everybody there. She went to European Union to advocate for their rights. Uh, she goes to demonstrations against violence and abuse of people with different abilities. So she is very active till last moment. She's a fighter and it's a fighter and this warrior spirit totally warrior spirit and i really admire her because every time i feel tired or sometimes uh sometimes slide away feeling oh what am i gonna do feeling sorry for myself i remember her and i pull back right away i feel the same way about my friend eric patrick thomas paralyzed from the neck down the most positive human being i've ever met in my life mind-blowing we can't we can't we can't surrender to the conditions that our bodies i mean it's almost like god creates these people with what we call disabilities mm -hmm. as actually like a blessing to the entire world to inspire us well to be grateful to be more positive like the, the most positive people i've ever met in my life yes are people with Down syndrome, people who have some type of medical condition, people that were born that way. They never had a chance to choose. It was chosen for them by God, by the universe. But they like seem to be these great gifts. Yes. To us. Absolutely. To remind us, to remind us that there are all kinds of forms in this universe, like there are trees, like there are flowers, that everything has the right to exist. And to be respected and to breathe. We who are we? Who are we to say, no, I can't see this, I don't want this, I can't support this, etc. You know? And children are the most innocent beings, you know? They become our own victims. 
Yeah. I do believe in generational yeah, trauma. Of course. I believe it's very hard of because course. the way you're brought up, you, you don't even realize one day that, hey, I'm acting just like my dad did. Well, I was, when I came to the U.S., uh, only eight months later, I was hit by a car crossing the street. Wow. And, uh, and I was paralyzed, waist down for, for a year and a half, and I had surgeries, and my left leg was out. Not, I mean, I still... So you really got hit my, by a car, like I hard. Mean, I was hard. I had an experience, out-of-body experience. I saw the world from above, and I didn't want to come back to my body, but I had to. So you saw something positive. I, I saw everything blue and beautiful, and, and then it was like a, a thread, a thread of light. And the sound, go back, go back, go back. And my body looked small from the above. And then I went back. I was in coma four hours. Wow. And then after that. I never I, knew this about you. Okay. Took six years to get up on my feet without crutches. And when did this happen? In 1981. Wow. March. So right after you came to America. Right. right. So I was health broken. No money. No papers, illegal, because I decided to stay. So you and came here not the right way. No, I came as a student exchange visa. And you just said, visa. I'm not leaving. And I said, because the situation in Kosovo, then it did deteriorate. 81, they, had the, they threw gas, poisonous gas. And right, the university got hit, everything was bad. Deteriorating, yeah. Yeah, and so I, I was going to stay, and I decided to stay. I'm the first woman from the Balkans to receive political asylum. Took six years. Took six years to heal. Took six years to bring this body back to shape. But even on crutches, I had to work. And So what did you do during that time? How did you survive? I first spent one year and a half in a hospital. And in, out, in, out, in, out, every 30 days in nursing home, hospital, nursing home. And then I used to work for this uh, family, uh, Barry D. Maurer, lawyer, and I was the nanny for their kids, his kids. Their mother had died from cancer, and I was their nanny. And to their generosity, they had accepted me back in their home. And so I would go on crutches and do the best I could for them and make sure they don't burn the house down yeah i mean the watch kids, them the kids were amazing and they loved me i loved them and so um was a jewish family and so i learned a lot i learned a lot about my history through their history through their books through books in his uh in his library and he was a very very smart man anyway they they were very generous and and loving, and I stayed five years with this family. And so then... Uh, in touch with any of them to this day, or no? Absolutely, every everyone. They look at you like an aunt, right? No, they call me mama. Mama? <laughs> you raised them. I raised them, yeah. I love them. They are very good kids. They are very good kids, yeah. yeah. So... And so, so what I'm trying to say is, uh, at the start, I was broken. And, but thanks to my spirit that I just did not want to give up. I did not want my mother to see me like that. 
I came to succeed and I was always pushing myself. You have to, you have to get up. You have to get up. You have to succeed. And this power came from inside and this love came from inside. So healing. Some woman went and told my mother they cut my both legs. And when my mother came for the first time to visit after five years, she wasn't afraid to get out of the plane to see me without legs. I was waiting in the airport. There is no mom. I was really scared what happened to my mother. Finally, the stewardess brings her out, last person of the plane, and she looks at me and says, you have legs. And I'm like, yeah, I have legs. And so, look. I and mean, back then, people don't realize you had to send a letter to get in communication. Yes, legs. of course. It was very difficult to get people on the phone. I experienced that in the 90s. You're talking about the 80s. Yeah. Where, you know, we yeah. took for granted as Americans, even before cell phones, just having phones in our homes. Yes. You know, when I used to go visit my family in the country you were born in. Yes. There was no phones at all. No I had phones. to drive 20 miles to the next yeah. city. My dad would have to call from America because it was very expensive. It was very difficult to communicate. And, and today's generation definitely takes it for granted. But letter writing was so beautiful and so but so long, though. Oh, come on. By the time you get that message, you know, so much could change in your I life. I know, but, uh, but nothing changed. But when you got it, it made you happy. Right. It was so wonderful it was to magical. receive a letter. Now, With no the blue and red corners yeah. right all around and, the letter. Yeah, somebody would put a coin or somebody would put uh, rose petals in it or somebody would put a uh, perfume letter. depends from who you got it. <laughs> it was just lovely. Yeah, the art of writing has definitely changed Yeah, now. yeah, the language has deteriorated. So I met you... In New York City, you were working out of the legendary Hotel New Yorker, which had oh, offices, which had yeah. buildings, which, you know, had condos, hotel rooms. Yes. It's where Nikola Tesla was discovered deceased. Yeah. And legend has it, they raided that building and took his technology. That, that's what the anyway. this conspiracy theorists yeah. say, but that's not yeah. what we're talking about today. When I met you, you were doing a lot of activism for women in the Albanian community and all over the world. I have not seen you in 20 years. Yeah. Since the last time I saw you, what have you done as far as activism? Okay. Where are you now? What are you working on? And how can people support your work? Okay. Uh, first, let me start with uh, New Yorker Hotel. I used to go. I did all kinds of jobs. I did 27 jobs uh, from lowest, from being a babysitter to a dog sitter to all kinds of uh, jobs to survive and uh, to build my, my body back. Anyway, when I would work in Manhattan, I would come from New Jersey by bus and I would see New Yorker. But I always dreamed to be published in the New Yorker magazine. So I thought that was New Yorker magazine. The magazine, not the hotel. And I used to dream, one day I'm going to work on top of you, be in the New York New Yorker magazine, watch me, watch me. Uh, every day I would repeat that, coming back to New York from New Jersey. Lo and behold, when we had Albanian American Women's Organization uh, in 2001, finally legalized and registered, and we got some money from the government to help refugees, we got offices 
in the New Yorker Hotel. That's where I, I came up to visit you all the time. <laughs> right. So it was a New Yorker magazine that I managed to work, but I did <laughs> work on the top of New there Yorker There was also, Hotel. I believe, the newspaper was stationed there also, Illyria, the Albanian-American Illyria newspaper, newspaper. Illyria. So from um, this organization started 1993, founded by Shchipa Biba, same sake name as mine, and uh, Dr. Anna Cohen legalized it, and we got funding. So we started with one office and two employees. In one year, we managed to raise almost a half a million dollars, and then we had 16 employees, three offices. We had a, a television, cable television program, we had two pages of newspaper, middle pages of newspaper in Lyria. So we empower refugee women and immigrant women in in tri-state area. We had a magazine, Spresa, Hope, uh, that went global. So we had 200 volunteers. That's what we did for five years. I think we managed to raise funds and, uh, and worked. And work to every system. time I came there, I would yeah. see you sometimes in the morning, sometimes yeah. I'd see you there at eight o'clock at night. You yeah. were in that office, and working. sometimes till midnight. Yeah. I, I never stayed that late because I wanted to go out yeah. and have fun. I so know I was young back then, yeah, and I was young too, but I had been busy totally. And for those of you that don't know, the Hotel New Yorker is on 34th Street and 8th Avenue, right in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. So, you know, I also started my life, uh, yeah. well, my career was on 8th Avenue, three blocks away. Yeah. At that time, I had was doing real estate for one of my cousins. They had an office on 38th and 8th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was very close to you. It was close. Um, geographically. And uh, it's funny how God keeps people together, even yeah. after 20 years. Yeah. So so in 2006, um, in 2006, I, my health deteriorated. And I went, uh, I stopped. Our funding decreased. And... So we we just kind of left the work, and um, organization had to did not fold, but wasn't anymore as productive as it was when we did. So for me, accidentally, I had no money to pay my rent. I uh, freaked out. What I'm gonna do next? And then a friend of mine sent me a, send a message to twenty of us if we were available for a three-week workshop in Afghanistan, I... Now, this is already, the invasion had already happened. Right. The American invasion. Yes. After September yes. 11th. Yes, yes, yes. And you so get a notice. I get Without even email. looking, someone sends you a message. Yeah. Do you want to go to mine. Afghanistan? Right. A friend of mine who worked in Kosovo before, a British lady, and she was working in Afghanistan, they needed a, a trainer, but nobody wanted to go. Some trainers kind of canceled. I was available. I to said, train yes, who, the Afghani women? To train um, civil society and civil service ministries, women and men, separately. And uh, to train them on, on uh, um, empowerment, leadership, and management, and on the skill building. Because they, they were trying to improve their skills at work. So I said yes, because it was, it was... Now, when you went, was not still safe there. No, it wasn't safe, but so I had to still pay big my rent. What year was this, 2006? 2006, May. And the Battle May. of Fallujah 
It was 2004, I think. I can't remember. But whatever. It's still very yeah. volatile when yeah, you went there. Yeah, it was volatile. So Taliban you've never was... been to Afghanistan. I've never you been. You take this job. I take this job. And you go into an active war zone. And I'm going to active war zone. was on the red red line. and But I thought, oh, my God, I have to see this. Because I somehow thought, I want to work with women in Afghanistan. It was like amazing opportunity. And I forgot to ask, where am I going? How much are you paying me? No, how much I... I yeah, you're just going to go. Yeah. She told me, uh, you're going to make $600 a day. And I'm like, $600 what? A day. 600 A day. A day. And I've never in my life made that, made kind, of that kind of money. So I wasn't comfortable with that. I said, no, 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 no. That's too much. 100 is okay. No, no, no. And she said, just shut up and do whatever you want. Take the money and give it away. But this is... The norm here. Because okay. you're in a dangerous place. Okay. You know, you're risking your life to go there. And true, I took that money and gave it away. <laughs> because I just wasn't so com comfortable. You went to Afghanistan. I went to Afghanistan. How far were you from the capital? In the capital. So you were in Kabul. I came through Dubai to Kabul. I wrote a book about Afghanistan. Now, did you live in the city, in the green zone, or were you on a base? No, not base. I lived in the city. We all were posted to the guest houses called Green Zone, if you, but it was no Green Zone, really. Because <laughs> anyone could just yeah, blow something up. Or things do a we witnessed there. But I arrived in the worst day of their, um, they had uh, demonstrations in Kabul. So I realized, I don't know when I landed in Kabul, I didn't. I didn't know where am I supposed to go because I forgot to ask the address. And I called, I asked somebody to give me the phone, so I called my friend. And the first word she said, don't come to Kabul. I am hiding underground. I said, I'm here. And she said, well, see if you find Intercontinental Hotel, uh, the bus, the pickup. Go to Intercontinental, that's the safest place, and then I'll come after a couple of days. Hmm. That's how you started your trip. That's how I started my trip. Kabul was on fire, demonstrations, riots. I mean, riots, guns, violence, shooting, violence. It People was clearly it was in their lives. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. So, what's going through your mind? Did you say, What the hell did I just get myself I thought, into? This is like in a movie. <laughs> And I wrote in my book all all that, what I have experienced. Which book is this one? Well, this is, I don't have a title yet. But You're writing it. Uh, it's done. It just needs the last edit and and uh, then offer it. And you spent how long, how long did you spend in Afghanistan? I went for three weeks and I stayed 10 years. 10 years? Yeah. I remember when you went, I'm like, she's crazy. I remember yeah. seeing you post something about yeah. it. Well, and I'm like, she must be out of her mind. I wasn't out of my mind. Well, I thought I was scared for you. Yeah, well, this is fear. Operate. You know, I was worried for you. But that, these 10 because years... Because I had family who served in the military. Yes. But, lost friends over there. It was yeah. very dangerous. Yeah, I lost a cousin in military, but I didn't work for military. I worked for GIZ, German organization, and then USAID, all kinds of organizations. So 10 years in you spent in Afghanistan. Yes. That's in, why I didn't see out, you. In, out, in, out. Best 10 years of my life. Do you Best. miss it? I miss them. 
Would you be safe for you to go back now that they're I back in power? I wouldn't go back, no, no. I it would don't. be dangerous, right? I, I don't trust Taliban, and I don't trust myself. What do you think about the way we left there? I feel very sad, but I have... You don't consider it all one big failure on the behalf of our government, not like people like you? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I am not going to go into politics because I'm... But you know why I'm angry? Right, but... I, but I am not an expert on analysis, yeah. political no, analysis. The only thing that upsets me is that, you know, the whole thing that we were supposed to go there for was to get rid of the Taliban, and we left them in power. So what did we accomplish in 20 Look, years except trillions of dollars lost and millions of lives affected? Look, and we don't know anything. It's crazy. Let, let me just say that. We don't know anything. And all the interests of the parties involved and all the games that are being played, People don't count. And I have had the, the luck to work with people. Now, Afghan people are very honorable people. I have discovered I've heard that. a lot of great things about them. They are poets. They speak in poetry. There's a land of Rumi. They, they, they are soft inside. Very hospitable. Hospitable. Amazingly hospitable. Very similar to the Albanian culture, how we treat the guests? Absolutely. We're really good, too. Absolutely. So they have that in common. Absolutely. I mean, you can see the, the a man in ministry worked for $80 salary a month. $80. And, and no, for $60 salary a month. He borrows $20 to make a grand dinner for me to, to show how much respect they have, the whole family. And then... Then he has his roof is collapsing, but he spends all his salary to honor a guest and gives you a gift when you leave. I mean, come on, in their own poverty, they have honor. Nothing else. They they are honorable. Um, we're not talking about. It's the honor that makes them wealthy. Makes them very wealthy, and the women are so strong. Very beautiful, by the way. Absolutely. Afghani women are absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. I used to make a joke to some of the Afghani women I met. I'm like, no wonder they cover you guys. Afghan women are amazing. They never complain. They suffer so much. They endure. And they endure. for the, They have faith. What saves them, they have faith in goodness, in God, in, in life. They have faith. And, and they are afraid of of making a mistake because God will forget them. And so that makes them really good human beings. I I can I, I healed. I used I had a cancer and and uh, I was sick at that time when I went. I had 50/50 chance to survive and that's what doctor said. And so when I went to Afghanistan was I am going to pay my debts. I'm going to pay my rent and, and, and do something good. Something good. Last time, before I die. It didn't happen. They healed me. You know, there were times when I couldn't move from bed. My body just would not. And they would come to the guest house. They did not want to miss a lesson. They were so curious to learn. And they would come, women would come around my bed and they would massage my hands and my feet and, and, and then just talk to us. My head worked, my mouth worked. I would talk to them, I would talk to them and teach them. And, and 
my body wasn't functioning. An old man travels to a village all night to get something from a tree, something, I don't even know what it's called, from a tree to bring it to me because they know that tree heals. So you put it in a milk, it's a black thing. It's like a cold. You don't even know what it's called, huh? No, I don't remember. Okay. I don't. And, and he walked back. Was it a black seed? I don't know. It was black. It's thick. It was like a... Like a paste? Like a paste, like uh, coming from a tree. And he brings it back. They put it in a milk so I could get up on my feet. Because and they made you drink it? Yes. And so it, with love... And it worked. And it, it worked. Apparently it worked. And so I used to have two canes unable to stand because I'm always burning myself to and candle two ends and my muscles gave up and, uh, you know, the illness. And so they would bring food, leave it on a table, covered up, no name, who send it. They, they just cared. Yeah, they just wanted, they wanted... Only God to know they did it. They didn't want the, you exactly. to be like, thank you and yeah. praise them. No, thanks. That's what I tell people. There's two and types of giving. There's the one you do for show. Yeah. Yeah. To be praised. Yes. And there's the one that's between you and the creator. But, but this love, their love, their caring in the middle of the bombs falling. I mean, I witnessed explosions. Do you like the way that they're portrayed? No. In American media? No. Do you think it's fair to them? No, it's not. They've been portrayed like this since the time of the Russian wars. No. With no. Rambo and no. this one and no. that one. No. And They're so talented and they work so hard. So what hard. do you think is the greatest lesson you learned in Afghanistan from the people? Like, what do you think? All they, I think all they want is to know what peace is. No. I what think, do you think? I think endurance, belief in God, belief in God, endurance, and community. Family is really the core, working together. Like I have, for example, Zuleika Sherzad. She's a fashion designer. She produces. She works so hard. She lives in New York, but she has a factory in Afghanistan. She feeds 50 families, creating jobs for them. She doesn't do it only for herself. Her stuff sells, not sells. I mean, it's all she she tries always to help these families over there. So, so caring for each other was something, it was amazing. It was, they will die for their principle. Do you think that <clears throat> the reason so many people lack compassion, mm. understanding, is their lack of knowledge of other people's cultures and do you, do you, I've always said, and I truly believe this, that the best education we can get in life is travel. Yes. One of the biggest components of educating Absolutely. ourselves. Absolutely. Do you feel that you would have reached the wisdom you have in almost no. 70 years old if you did not see other parts of the world? No. I feel so blessed. For example, I have lost fear. I have lost fear. In Afghanistan, I was protected. Not once did I think. I would die. And and I thought, if I would die, there is a purpose that I'm here, so I would die for a purpose, and for a good purpose. I tell people, it's very empowering, <clears throat> and I've come to that, that opinion in life also, mm. that I will not fear death. Nothing to fear. And, you know, I think when you become comfortable with the 
fact. You're going to die anyway. It's, I feel like it's very empowering. I think we should not even call it death. It's transitioning. It's transition, like going from one room to another. It's like having a car and then the car what do stops you believe? working. Do you believe there's something after this? I don't know life after because I don't have knowledge about life after. But I believe spirit never dies. It moves on forward because it's energy. So I believe so too. How can energy disappear? That's how can all this experience just vanish? It can't. And we have many books that say life has many stages after you move on in spirit world. I don't know. I have to experience. I experienced myself I mean, leaving the, the body. Yeah. I left the body and Not came dream. back. You were in that moment. And yeah. being that Very I, similar to what many people have experienced. Like, I, how are they all seeing the same thing? Yeah. So I was angry at death because it took my father. I was angry with death. And from that moment, I made peace with death. There is no death. There is just this transition. You can see from above. It's okay. We move to a better, higher state. Our spirit is imprisoned in our body. It's limited. Cannot achieve, cannot move, cannot do what it wants to do. Body cannot house the spirit is big and the body is small. You can have a big body, but still is small for your spirit. So are you still active? Are you still traveling to places? Yes. I mean, what, are, what are you up to now? Well, right now, I am getting ready to go to Beirut. Because Lebanon. I, Lebanon. Hot zone uh, right now with everything going on between Israel and Gaza. The hot zone is everywhere in the world. So what to do? I mean... I've I, heard Lebanon's an amazing place to visit. It's a lovely place. Have you place. ever been before this yeah, trip? Yeah, I worked four years in Lebanon before. And, and in Beirut? In Beirut. And, and I just went last year for a month. And we did amazing work because this organization, Connect Children Now, uh, we started at 2014. So what does it do? Does it handle and It children? works with children, refugee children. And it orphans? creates orphans, refugees, displaced, and it helps children have a place to read, learn, go read, to write, go to school, non-formal education, play, um, experience happiness and they have a be program a kid. called be a kid they have a program called incredible me they teach them meditation yoga creativity and, and you're uh, going back right now yes and so we did a lot of work last year they have expanded to 18 centers they serve 21,000 refugee kids and their families in the in the camps and all over and so it is very fulfilling work and you see these kids i asked what would you like me to bring you chocolate hairbands a doll a car you know like every kid likes these things uh, i never asked you but do you have any children at home? No, I don't have children. So the children of the world are yours. Yes, I. Ah, the children I, of the world. I wanted. I mean, you've helping children since I know yeah, you. Over yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost twenty-something years, I know you. I love children, but I want. You raised someone else's kids. I mean, you've been a yeah, mother yeah, many, many, many times kids, over, I of know. all walks yeah. and types. And yes, do you feel like that? Do you feel like you got fulfilled? Because some people say I never got to have one of my own. But no, no, no. Doing no. what you've done. 
I don't. I Do you don't, feel that you've been a mother? I chose not to be, to give birth because I felt it is a bond that would hurt me that I could not maybe protect or I could it's not. It's very scary to be a parent. It, it is scary. It can destroy you. Right. And it has destroyed many people I know. And so this way. It's my greatest fear. I have three of my own. I don't yes. know how I would handle that. Yeah, it's, it's not an easy thing. And for me, getting married was limited limitation because apparently maybe i never met the right guy and so uh why bother but i didn't stop to to think oh i am not fitting in society no marriage no no children no, i didn't want that i wanted the world and god gave me the world and i am in the world yes there are war zones and torn zones but so what i have the greatest happiness with these kids and when I fulfill their desires, their their dreams, I don't let them down. I am so happy. So I came back and I started a GoFundMe uh, called "Let Let Peace Heal Little Hearts" to create a playground to buy them some things and what they wanted. We're some, gonna keep. We're gonna put some, a link, a some, link here on the YouTube channel. Make sure you check out her GoFundMe. Yeah. Let's help some of these kids that have lost everything. Yes. And we and now I'm going back to work with them for two months again to see their needs to to establish what's happening, who who can help, how can help, to really connect people, basically. I'm sure there's an influx now with everything that's happening yes. over the border. Yes, there is. There is. Is that part of the reason you're going back? Well, part of the reason, yes. And there's more now. And it's more, it's 84,000 people from south went up north, and it's very hard to feed them. And Unfortunately, I think that that conflict is just beginning, I in know. my opinion. I pray for peace. I know you do. Yeah. It's yeah. just, no one wins. The hardest thing I had to learn as an Albanian, yeah. American, I hated Serbians my whole life. Yeah. I saw what they did to our people. I saw what happened to my family. I lost 28-plus people, and I was full of hatred. Mm. It was the hardest thing to do was to let that go. To forgive. And I wanted to judge them all. And I wanted them to all, to me, there could be no good one. We all do. But New York City changed that for me. Mm. I came across a few of them. I was forced to deal with them. I didn't want to deal with them. I was, my life made it that I had to deal with some of them. Because that's America, right? Mm-hmm. people that might kill each other on the other side of the world over here we got to learn how to get along or we both end up in jail or we get in trouble so sometimes we have to deal with people that are supposed to be our quote-unquote enemy and you talk to these people and you're like well why the hell are we killing each other why the hell do we hate each other and right. we have all of this in common and what did you think about what your people did to my people i didn't agree with what they did to your people that was the government and then i thought about myself i didn't agree with the iraq war I didn't agree that our country went in there. I didn't like Saddam Hussein. And not to get into the politics, but me personally, I didn't want to send our men and women into harm's way unless it was absolutely necessary, right? As an American. Yeah. So if I didn't agree with that war, why should that Iraqi hate my guts because our country invaded them? I, I didn't agree with that. Me, Beck, yes, I'm American, but I didn't support that. And then I thought, well, it's the same thing with that. Not every Serb wanted these wars. and Yeah. Yes, there were some that did absolutely <laughs> horrific things to us, but not all of them are evil. And there's many young ones. And then I started understanding how the world works and geopolitics and lobbies. And really, when I look at the Balkans now, they all really want the same thing. But it's the people 
that are kind of instigating these issues. There's foreign powers. There's so much, like you yeah. said, we don't know everything. We don't know. And we don't, I don't think people realize that we are not each other's enemies. Yeah. People make us. And we listen to people and media and this and that, and we start to learn how to hate each other. And that's why these conflicts keep, continue to happen. What we don't pay attention to is people and power. There are two different poles, polarities. People want a good life. Everybody wants to be... Everybody wants peace and to provide. Peace and to provide and to be happy and fulfilled. And why? Nobody says, I want to suffer. I want to hate. No. People want a good life. But power wants control of the people. And needs the world. And then self-interest on these powerful people gives them the right to do what they're doing. And therefore, we, the people, we forget who is on the other side. We start hating each other. But accepting differences is amazing. It's amazing. It, it, it just blossoms, you know. When I am among these kids who have nothing, I have been in India for 15 years. I worked in India with all most desolate people in the slums. Their eyes are beaming with light. If you, if you have little thing for them, they shine. Nobody complains. They live in the garbage bags under garbage. Pretty bad over there. I've seen Very bad. But talking about resilience in spirit, these people make me feel ashamed having everything in my body, the perfect shape. And to not be healthy and not get healthy and not take care of ourselves. And they don't even have one fraction of what Uh, we have. Absolutely. And you're right about this. This is where being grateful and having gratitude and appreciating the gift of life. And every breath is a mercy. Oh, my God. And you don't know if next next day comes. Absolutely. So why miss today? I just lost a friend this week, 30-something yeah. years old. He passed away suddenly. Yeah. No yeah. no reason why, just gone. Yeah. And I, you know, people say, well, you know, I think it's a very negative way that you approach. I go, no. I think about death because it's it gives me light in my life because I know how fragile and how quick and how fast it really goes. And I want to have purpose and I need to remind myself I'm not here every day. I don't feel like doing this today, but I need to get up and do it because I might not have tomorrow. Sufis say death is closer to you than your own breath. Okay. And that means it can come any second. And it comes unannounced many times. And it comes unannounced. You know, and that's why some people, when they are terminal, as horrible as that is, there is some blessing that they got to know and maybe make some peace. And it's for me, it's always tragic when you didn't have a chance to do any of that. And that's why I always tell my audience and my followers and people that support my work, try to live a life where you will not have that regret as much as you can. Because mm-hmm. there's nothing worse than, than carrying regret. I know yeah. you probably train people to let go and stuff like that, but I think sometimes regret's important because you don't want to do that again, that mistake. You need to process it. You need to learn from it. Yeah, You have to get lessons out of regret, I think. You know, not regret, but what would you have done had if you had a chance to do it? And would you really, did you really want to do that? Because regrets come only what if, what if. But because you didn't do something you 
wanted to do, you thought you wanted to do, and didn't do it, regret is it's a waste. It's really a waste. How do people follow you? Do you have a website or do you have a, well, a, I am all a Twitter over. or email or no, do you have anything? I have everything. I am on social media Are under you on my Instagram? name. Instagram, my name, Facebook, my name. So LinkedIn. what is it, Shipa Malushi? Shipa Malushi. We'll put the tag up there so people can follow. Uh, I am all over. And please uh, send us the link for your Google, GoFundMe. And I did send already. Google. Okay. Google. I'm on Google. You put my name and you find the entire history on Google and everything else. I didn't know I have so many pages in Google. It's already recorded, so <laughs> I don't know. But, um, but I feel blessed to have been given an opportunity to dream and to want life and in, and to, to live creatively. So I wrote many books and I made this movie. It's a 30-minute movie, Biba May No More. She says no more abuse, no more suffering, no more pity, no more. And... Uh, and uh, my book, The Haunted Land, which is a book of poetry about war in Kosovo, was uh, uh, put into a play in 2022, which was produced and, and performed in National Theater. Uh, 350 people were weeping because they also forget. Forgetfulness is something that doesn't let us grow. And they forget. What is war? And, and how damaged and how painful it was. So when we forget, we get seduced by whatever else in life others have. But we need to remember that we don't want war. And we need to plant peace. And once the peace is there, the healing comes. Forgiveness is the tool to make peace and bring healing. Now, we can say we can't forgive Serbs and Serbs are provoking and all these political gains on top that goes. Once we are healed, nobody can provoke us anymore. Once you're healed, you're strong. And this is where Afghanistan is an example to me because regardless of what they're going on. And I get daily mail from people asking me to help them get out of Afghanistan. I can't help them. And I feel so bad to even write to them that I cannot help them. I, I keep telling them, I'm 69, I don't have any power, I can't, I am retired, and mostly I do volunteer work. And what can, how can I help you to get you out of there? I can't. And it's not that I am powerless. I am not powerless, but I am powerless on the scheme of the government, of the law. And, and that's it. Yeah, they're under uh, now a dictatorship. Of course. Of Very course. difficult to maneuver. Americans got trapped there, let alone the people that live there. Of course. In and any event. Yes. It's been my honor to have you on. Same here. I think we might bring you back in the future. So. I think there's a lot more to talk about. Folks, I'm happy to have my friend on the show, Shipa Malushi. 
check out her work check out her instagram please if you can donate to her gofundme let's help some of these children overseas they're suffering so much i vouch for her i've known her for 20 plus years and i know every penny that she gets she puts to use yes this is not a woman that lives an extravagant life driving a mercedes i beck lover if you trust me you can trust her so yes. check out i'll put it in the link below and i just want to thank you for coming the money is going trans transparent not a penny is withheld from these kids i give my own money whatever i have and i need your help and all the help of the people when you do good feel good absolutely this is another episode of the back lover podcast i learn finger two about life Till the next time with my friend Shiba Malushi. Say goodbye. Thank you, Bob. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.